This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use and provides general information only and does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs. BT Investment Talk by BT Investment Solutions is a monthly podcast produced exclusively for Australian financial advisors. Our investment experts, together with some of the world's leading fund managers, will provide thought leadership on a wide range of investment topics. Investment Talk is all about looking beyond the numbers, helping advisors cut through the noise, enabling them to have meaningful investment and portfolio construction conversations with their clients. Hello, I'm Matt Harvey, Key Account Manager and Senior Investment Specialist, and welcome to a special episode of BT Invest Talk. And I say special because today I am joined by our Chief Investment Officer, Corin Collicott. As CIO, Corin has oversight of $46 billion in funds under management as at the end of June this year across the BTIS suite of products covering passive and active solutions in both the super and the investment space. In the five plus years Corin has been with the business, funds under management has increased by over 50% and pleasingly performance across our diversified suite of products has been strong. So Corin, welcome and thanks for your time. Thank you, Matt. Again, due to lockdowns, we're recording this via Zoom, so I apologise in advance that the audio quality is not as good as what we would typically produce in the studio, so we appreciate your patience on this front. But, Corin, I'm, I'm looking forward to our chat. If it's okay with you, I thought we could break it down into three sections. Um, firstly, who is Corin Collicott? I appreciate you've been busy managing the portfolios and are yet to meet a number of advisors in our community, so I thought it would be good for them to hear a bit more about your background. Um, secondly, as I mentioned at the start, you've been with the investment team for over five years now, so I'm keen to unpack some of the key changes you have implemented to the portfolios over this time. And, and lastly, just get your thoughts on where we are in the cycle and, and outlook for investors in the years ahead. So does that all, all sound good with you? I can go with that. Awesome. All right. Well, before we get into our discussion, I'll first provide a brief update on the core series portfolios for the month of July. So over the month, all portfolios posted positive absolute returns after fees and continue to exceed their CPI plus return objectives. And I think the key call out for the month was the spread of the Delta variant and the subsequent adjustment to growth and inflation expectations across both developed and emerging markets. In the fixed interest space, this ultimately led to bond yields falling while equities were able to look through the impact of lockdowns thanks to a strong US earnings season. And unhedged international equities were further supported by a depreciating Aussie dollar. Uh, but as we've seen previously, declining real yields were supportive for growth stocks and, and consequently active returns from our value equity managers were challenged over the month. Uh, but as always, for more detailed attribution and performance reporting, I encourage you to visit bt.com.au forward slash core series where you can download the July monthly reports. So, Corin, with that being said, I thought it would be good to hear a little bit more about your background. I know you grew up in South Africa. You're an engineer by trade. Did you want to give us the, the short version as to how you ended up as CIO of BTIS here in Sydney? Thank you, Matt. Um, yes, started um, my career off as a mechanical design engineer in South Africa, um, helping design aspects of power plant. Um, left South Africa in the mid-90s to go to New Zealand, uh, where I very quickly changed course uh, um, by getting a job at a pension consultancy which is where I first came into contact with investments. Um, what, what, drove, what, what drew me to uh, investments was the uncertainty uh, and the fact that I could still build things just you know, with that engineering mindset in the background. Uh, in early 2000, I talked my way into uh, another investment consultancy here 
in Sydney and I've been here ever since. Um, and prior to being at BT, was the head of investment strategy and asset allocation for Sun Super for 10 years. I, th- I think that's good to hear that background because it gives us, gives us an idea as to how your own investment philosophy has been shaped. But um, for someone who's had a, a front row seat, observing your interactions with the senior leadership team within the investment team, um, one thing I've certainly noticed is the, the improvement in, in discipline across um, processes and governance and, and ultimately uh, decision-making within the portfolios. I'm interested to know, is that something that you intentionally set out to do or, or is that something that's happened more organically just with the team that you have? And, and perhaps it would be good to get an example of some of the changes you've implemented um, to the portfolios re- with respect to uh, the, the philosophy and processes. Thanks, Matt. Look, definitely all intentional. Um, over the past five, five, five of the past five years, we've built out the investment team. We have 22 investment professionals with varying backgrounds and experience. And a key focus for us is the retention of talent and having the ability to promote from within. It's been very important for us to have an overarching investment philosophy that we can all align to. And I can sum that up in you know, three, three, um, three ways. Focus on what matters, uh, which is the longer term, design and maintain best practice investment processes to add value, and then behave well. And by that, we mean behave with discipline, patience, and humility. Part of applying that mindset has been the evolution of our consulting model, which is to leverage the best-in-class asset managers through four key strategic partnerships, each of them bringing a unique skill to the table. This provides us global insights, the sharing of IP, and the building of scale from market-facing practitioners. Yeah, no, that, that's awesome. And, and I know there's been a, a lot of noise about um, uh, our strong performance over the last 12 months, but f- from my perspective, it, it's that five-year journey that I think is more interesting and and you touched on there some of the changes that you've made, um, you know, with, with the team and, and the way you go about building portfolios. Uh, but could, uh, you know, obviously one of the other changes you've made is actually the strategies within the portfolios themselves. And, and one of the, I guess, obvious call-outs for me there was uh, within the advanced funds, for example, the introduction of private markets. So could you just give us a sense of, um, you know, the types of, of strategies and assets that investors are now getting exposure to? Um, absolutely. Um, over, over, the, over the course of the last five years, we've made material changes to the asset class lineup, again, with that focus on achieving total portfolio outcomes. Um, and over the course of that time, we've effectively removed exposure to classic hedge fund strategies uh, and introduced a more broad diversification um, set of, of, of alternative asset classes, those being liquid alternatives, uh, unlisted property, unlisted infrastructure, and then, as you, as you mentioned, the private debt piece. We've also introduced uh, a dedicated emerging market equity sleeve. Uh, also, over the course of that period, we've effectively revised and reviewed the entire manager lineup to make sure they fit purpose. Uh, you know, a good example is, is removing you know, emerging market foreign currency exposure from global fixed income portfolios. Yeah, excellent. And, and you touched on the, the private debt. And I know the returns of, of that particular strategy over the last 12 months has been, um, you know, exceptional in, in the order of, um, you, you know, over 17% before fees. But um, I suspect we're not expecting those types of returns in, in those asset classes going forward, which 
sort of leads me to my, my final question around uh, the outlook for, for markets. And if I think about how we've positioned our portfolios um, over the last 12 months, or you could argue even over the last um, three years, has been that, uh, you know, loose monetary and, and fiscal policy will be a tailwind for, for equities. And, and ultimately, that's how we position our portfolios with an overweight allocation to growth assets relative to peers. And, and that's been good for relative performance um, to our competitors. Could you just give us a sense as to, you know, where you think we are in the cycle, your outlook for the next 12 months? But I'm, I'm also conscious that we're, you know, long-term investors with a, um, you know, a five to 10-year horizon, how you're thinking about building portfolios for the next five to 10 years as well. Um, will do, Matt. Just before I, I turn to the outlook, um, one of the things which is useful to illustrate, and, you know, you, you asked about whether or not we'd see the size returns from private debt that we saw last year in the future. Um, while we focus on the long term, it's also important to understand we don't run a set and forget strategy. Um, one of the things we believe in is that the best way to behave in a crisis is with a plan that was already in place rather than reacting to events as they unfold. Uh, and a good example of that is a private debt strategy, which um, now has four managers and six strategies in it, was set up prior to, to COVID uh, emerging in 2020. And we had set up a distressed debt sleeve. Should there be market disruption of any kind, we were able to deploy that capital really quickly um, as the crisis unfold and a large proportion of the outsized returns we got um, over the last year from the private debt strategy came from that. So that's something we, we will continue to do. Um, if we think about the outlook, you know, to, to get to your question, there's probably three, three ways to think about it. We have our own 10-year risk and return forecast assumptions. If we look at those today looking forward, um, most risk assets probably have an expected return with a number starting at five. And most of our traditional defensive asset classes have a return expectation of the next 10 years with a number that starts at two. So all, all being said, that still means we're getting paid somewhere around 3% for being exposed to risk assets. But understanding that the nominal returns are quite low, it's likely that people will need to adjust their expectations of what returns they'll get. And uh, given, given the volatility is not likely to be lower in the future, it means we should get more of a, of a bumpy ride as well. Um, if we think about the macro environment, um, ultimately policy is still very supportive. Um, and if we think about the cycle, as you mentioned, um, we're in a situation now where we have healthy balance sheets. We've got a strong financial system globally. Effectively, we've got low debt servicing costs. Um, and pockets of excess we see seem quite limited. So from a medium-term perspective, you'd think we're still in a supportive environment for risk assets. Um, add to that in the short term the pent-up demand from the so-called reopening trade. And again, all of those views seem supportive of being slightly overweight risk, which is where we're positioned. Of course, there's always risks to this. Um, the key ones uh, right now being inflation and inflation fears. Of course, exactly how the Delta and other potential strains uh, impact uh, economies, you know, relative to vaccine rollout 
and potential supply chain disruption is also a key risk factor in the short term. Um, and of course, there's always the ever-present geopolitical tensions, you know, any developments with China and Taiwan. These are all things, all risks that are present. Um, but for us, you know, those are risks we, we know are present, um, but don't believe we have any special ability to uh, out-forecast relative to consensus. And so we remain wary of them, but we don't specifically try to um, change the portfolios for those potential risks. That, that makes sense, Corin, and and, um, and some of the things you touched on there, I think, just highlight to advisors the, the benefits of the institutional strength that we have in terms of our, our processes and, and access to strategies, which is which is great. So, um, look, that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for your insights and, and congratulations again on the, the strong performance across our suite of diversified portfolios. It definitely makes our job easier in distribution, so uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for listening. If you if you'd like more information on our solutions, you can head to our website, bt.com.au forward slash BTIS. As always, if you have any questions or feedback, please do not hesitate to reach out. Thank you.